we all stand on the shoulders of those who came before us. A black future happens all the time. It's built on a foundation of those who have paved the way. A generation ago, all of this would have seemed unheard of. And what's new to the world now will be incomparable to what's coming up next. Trust your dream. The future is counting on it. are mostly known for an academic rigor, community. They also know how to turn up. Does he have it? Yes, he does! And that might be the knockout punch. Greetings, salutations. And that's what happens when your uh, speakers cut out on you. But greetings and salutations, y'all. Another episode of Fangs Up here. And it's it's been a pretty cool day or two if you are a family fan and listening to the happenings and the, the things that are going about on the highest of seven hills. So me in particular, I know that I am super excited and I'm going to do something I probably shouldn't do and do it without listening to myself because the earpiece wants to act funny. But that being stated, FAMU is about to really begin the fall sports. Fall sports have technically already begun, but that being stated, we're going to begin the most revenue-producing sport, which is obviously football, on Saturday when we play the University of North Carolina. But in the meantime, we got a doubleheader for FAMU Volleyball. That's going to be coming up as well. We're also going to talk about, I'm going to talk about the University of North Carolina matchup. If you caught yesterday, appreciate the guys from Penalty Talk. Uh, Penalty Talk had a lot of fun. And then also appreciate the shout out from Brian on ONG Strike Zone because we were on the sideline. And we're going to talk about that Musa thing. Like, I'm going to talk about it at least. And then give you some games to watch. And also kind of mention a little bit about the AD search, but I mean, I can only say so much because it's not that I'm at liberty to say, but it's, I haven't been able to watch all of the uh, streams that they had on zoom, but family has a doubleheader tomorrow. And that's going to be part of that tournament that they have in Kansas. Not going to go into too much crazy detail about it, but it's a great opportunity for family to play high quality talent, which that's something that you and I as a fan base are not only deserving of, but we want to see and you want to hear. And you want to be able to see that we can hold our own against that tournament. We're playing three high-quality teams, one of which is Kansas State. And then the other teams are going to be uh, North Carolina State University and Sam Houston State. And if you remember correctly, one of our student athletes, she came out of retirement and she previously played at NC State. And now she's going to be playing against them. So that's going to be a fun little kind of side story. Hopefully everything kind of just kind of works out to where there's a bit of camaraderie between her and her former teammates who are now competitors, but also hoping that we're able to put out a good product. And to me, that's one of the big things with volleyball. We want to prepare ourselves. Iron sharpens iron is kind of the thing you'll hear in a lot of circles, especially if you're like me, somewhat religious, iron sharpens iron so you can get better. That's kind of the idea, in my opinion, that 
we sharpen ourselves against these really good teams and prepare ourselves for conference play. And if we're able to do that and prepare for conference play, I think what you're going to get is a high quality of athletic competition that is then ready to do favorably well or really well in the conference. And considering we are the SWAT champions, I'm petty. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm not going to stop saying it until probably we're not the SWAT champions anymore, which hopefully that's not for like, you know, a whole decade or so. Cause I enjoy being SWAT champions. I enjoy being able to have that little bit of petty. It, it's a lot of fun to be able to have. Uh, and that being stated though, we, we have a really good team. We brought in some good transfer athletes and this team has positioned itself very well to make a decent run in the SWAC tournament. And that is something that I personally think that we're going to continue to see. We're seeing good content be put out too, as well. Uh, shout out to the crew over there on campus, because we're seeing where we get in videos the, we've seen where the student athletes are talking with each, each other and building camaraderie amongst themselves and, to me, that as a fan, it looks nice, but also that's a recruiting pitch. And as an alumni, it hopefully encourages us to continue to support those programs because we do need to support the volleyball program. They're winning SWAT champions. And we traditionally teach and enforce that when you do well, you're rewarded. And the reward for doing well should be additional support. We saw where for the first game, they had an ice cream social, student athletes were supported by the student base and the president gave the students ice cream and things like that. And you were able to see the pictures and the audio of the students being in there. And hopefully it helps make the Lawson center a little more imposing as far as a space. I like many others, I anticipate the volleyball program moving back to Gaither. Gaither is a more intimate setting. If you haven't seen the videos from the pep rallies, Gaither is, Gaither is like that. It's, it's a different ambiance and a different atmosphere than the Lawson Center. The Lawson Center is much larger, about 10,000 seats, not a little less than that, about nine. Whereas Gaither, you're probably talking about a couple hundred, uh, maybe a thousand, fifteen hundred, but it's a much smaller setting. But it does bode itself very well for athlete, athletic competition and sports that are similar to volleyball and things like that. We also saw where today they had a women's basketball interest meeting and hopefully we're able to get a few student athletes come out there and y'all know i kind of look to the left and try to see if i can get a little video going up there from the gaither video but if you haven't seen it i'm just going to give you the tea go check out coach rispus he actually got a really good video and a couple publications have reused his video but he just kind of got the vibe and ong actually put out there like this is what a game in gaither used to be like like Gaither would be a great venue, similar to what Florida State did with Tully Gymnasium. Tiny Tully, as it has been called by especially the older generation, but turning and repurposing a smaller venue that's more intimate for a sport that's going to draw a smaller audience. I think that's a great idea. It would almost be good to have something like that for women's basketball as well, just to be able to create a smaller, more intimate venue for them that allows for them to have a better audience atmosphere and maybe render better participation for those games. I don't know how far down the pipe that would be, but it's just a thought. So again, those are the two sports that we kind of have that are kind of doing a little something. Now the bell cow, as we know, is football. And 
in order to win football games, it's not always about the X's and O's. It's about the Jimmy's and the Joe's. And I just mentioned the best recruiting coach out there right now, in my personal opinion, Coach Two Bless on Twitter. And he is already letting y'all know he's ready. The dead period is about to end. And within the recruiting dead period, we're not supposed to make contact with the, with the student athletes and the potential recruits from certain class class areas. But coaches put it out there like y'all got one more week and he's already kind of put out there. Hey, start dropping your videos, show your highlight tapes. Let me know how you did in this game here. And that is a great thing because it creates a buzz. It gives people who are the content creators something to share. It gives the fan base something to look forward to. And we're able to see that we already got three dudes who caught some nice fresh offers from Florida A&M University. One is Jamie French. He's a 6'1", 175-pound. They say he's an athlete, but he's listed as a receiver in most places from Jacksonville, Florida, Mandarin High School. He's a 2025 four-star prospect. So, ooh, I know how I feel about that. When I see four stars, I'm hopeful, but I'm not going to be one of those people that's going to tell you, we're going to get this kid because he's a four-star prospect. I, there's a chance, but the chance is more likely he'll go elsewhere. But if he does come to FAMU, y'all already know. FAMU leave, we're going we're gonna to welcome him. We're going to take him take him in as well. And you want to continue to get that attention from those athletes because even if they don't come here, they kind of are sharing with, with their friends and their peers the experience of going to FAMU, going to homecoming. And that is something that's going to help recruiting. If you continue to draw good talent in, you're eventually going to win some games. And another student athlete we're bringing in, and as an offer, was Hardly Gilmore, 6'1", 175, wide receiver from Pahokee. It's Pahokee, not Pahokee. Down from Belglade and the Muck, and y'all know those athletes are different. Those kids are built different. It's a different kind of speed. That is South Florida speed, but different. I, those kids are built different down there. He's a 2025 prospect, and his film looks like he's pretty he's pretty quick. Y'all. Normally, I try to get a little film, but the computer is running slow, so I didn't want it to be glitching out and other things. But a 6'1", 165 athlete from Pahokee down in Belglade, man, you would love to be able to get that kind of talent. And traditionally, those are guys that you want as kick returners, receivers, corners, safeties. I mean, really anywhere on the field that you can put the ball in one of their hands. It's it's that's a spot and that's a spot or a person that's dangerous. I just looking out to see how, what he develops into is going to be fun. And another guy, last guy I got on here that we slid an offer to is Daniel Harris, 6'5", 180 pound edge rusher slash defensive end from Melbourne, Florida, and most times when you say more Melbourne, it's either Palm Bay or Rockledge. And this guy is from Palm Bay, three-star, 2023 guy. And he's going to, to me, fit this Isaiah Land, Isaiah Land mold. Isaiah Land, if you didn't remember, kind of comes to the FAMU, undersized, about that same size, 180 pounds, fills out to become a 230, 215, actually, I believe. Last time I saw 215, 220-pound edge rusher. Hopefully we can get him up to 230, but similar mold, similar build. Guy that's kind of tall, lean, and three-star prospect. He's a senior this year, so FAMU's hot on the recruiting trail. 
definitely making our mark and continuing to pursue students in Florida, Georgia, and the DMV. So all three of these guys are from Florida. But again, FAMU was very active in those other areas as far as getting recruits and actually signing them as well. So we're going to take a quick break. Then we're going to talk about this North Carolina game. And I'm going to break it down. Like, what are some of the potential problems? What are some of the potential strengths of the game? I'm going to also mention the betting odds and our starting quarterback for the game. Like, yesterday, we got a starting quarterback. And this is Fangs Up. We all stand on the shoulders of those who came before us. A Black future happens all the time. It's built on a foundation of those who have paved the way. A generation ago, all of this would have seemed unheard of. And what's new to the world now will be incomparable to what's coming up next. Trust your dream. The future is counting on it. All right, we're back. And... Week zero is here, and FAMU's going to play the University of North Carolina. This is our first ever meeting between Florida and University and the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. Well, if you're not familiar, uh, UNC has several campuses, but UNC that we all think of is UNC Chapel Hill, and that is the Blue and White, Cam the Ram, Tar Heels, all that good stuff, Michael, the school Michael Jordan went to, and their head coach is Mac Brown. If you're not familiar, though, Mac Brown went to Florida State, so he he is very likely familiar with hearing the Marching 100. He actually encourages players, like, showing them some information and saying, hey, kind of check this out. The 100 is pretty good, and the 100 will be in attendance. And supposedly there's going to be a joint halftime show between the University of North Carolina and the Marching 100. Both bands are going to be on the field together. This is not UNC's first time doing that, though. They did that with North Carolina A&T when they played each other and they're kind of hyping this game up to be an HBCU special for them. You're going to have some honorary captains for the game that are representing both Florida a University as well as the state of North Carolina. So I believe Rod Broadway and uh, Rudy Hubbard and one more individual also going to be there. So how do you watch this game? It's going to be on the ACC network and I myself am going to watch it and it's it's good. It's a game. It's a game. We we kind of know what it's going to be. It does flash some potential problems for FAMU. The first is North Carolina's pace of play. North Carolina plays very quickly. They play a high tempo offense. And when you run a high tempo offense, the question is, can the defense get the plays in fast enough? And can they get set? Because a lot of times what happens if the defense doesn't get the signs in in time or if they don't recognize them in time, then they don't get properly aligned. All of a sudden, the offense is able to capitalize. And that always looks bad, especially when it's a run play. Like when it's a passing breakdown, it seems that you don't notice it quite as much. Sometimes the safety is able to make a play. But when it's a run breakdown and the defensive players are still looking at the defensive coordinator and all of a sudden the running back's gone, it just it looks chaotic, unorganized, and it's always something that's very frustrating. And that was one of the things I was mentioning in the coach meeting that Coach Simmons had was, would we be able to get where we need to be in time? And I myself thought about the same thing. And also UNC's receivers led by Josh Downs. But I'm also mentioning the hometown kid from Tallahassee, Kamari Morales. Look out for him. He is a graduate 
of Lincoln High School, the new Lincoln for those old heads, not the old one. But he's pretty solid target. And if you look last year, UNC's quarterback would look for him and find him in times of need. He's been a great security blanket. And I wonder if that's going to be something similar because UNC has really good depth. But the depth chart wasn't really released until Monday. So much like FAMU and us deciding who our quarterback was yesterday, UNC just announced their quarterback on Monday. And they're going with the redshirt freshman quarterback. And not going to lie, he's supposed to be all world. But I think that's a potential strength for FAMU because you're bringing a guy into a college atmosphere. And Chapel Hill is not known as being the most imposing stadium in the ACC but it's a large crowd. It is, we're still talking 60,000 plus, if I, if memory serves me correct. And the quarterback's name is Drake May. Drake May is a quarterback that UNC was able to get and take away from the University of Alabama. He previously was supposedly committed to them. And looking at his film, he's very mobile. The old film that he had, he was rough, but supposedly he's worked on his game. He's worked on his footwork. And those were the big things that were the takeaways. When listening to the UNC pundits talk about him, they were saying his footwork and his delivery were things that he really worked on. And it wasn't so much of throwing catchable balls. It was making sure the balls got out really on time. And again, making sure his footwork was sound. And to me, when I hear footwork, I started thinking about accuracy. And when I looked at his previous film, he wasn't always accurate and the balls weren't pretty. They were the little knuckling balls. And if you ever played receiver, a pretty ball, it comes in on a spiral. But when a ball comes in on a spiral, it comes in on, like on a line. So it's really like the football comes in on a straight line to you. You can see the nipple of the ball. You can look at, watch it come into your hands. Your hands are already set up in a certain way. And when you catch the ball, you're able to just kind of just, just bring it into your body. I mean, not catch it with your body, but catch it with your hands and bring it into your body so, so, you, can, so that you can secure it. The balls that I saw that May had were knuckling to a certain degree. And one that slows down how quickly the ball gets to the receiver, meaning that gives the corner extra time to get to the ball. But it also makes the ball harder to catch because it's harder to gauge it, harder to find it. One thing that UNC had in their quarterback last year, he threw a good ball. I mean, he was he was a gunslinger and he made mistakes, but he threw a beautiful football, very catchable. And you saw where the receivers were able to capitalize on that. And I'm thinking the youth of this quarterback and this being his first real game, because he does have a quick release. Like it's kind of coming from the side of his head and it's, it's a nice little slick release now. Um, But can he get comfortable? Cause supposedly he can make all the throws. He spreads the ball across the field. And it, like I said, he's been working on his football, on his footwork and the delivery, but with this huge upside and the lack of experience, can FAMU's defensive land generate G, G, uh, defensive line? Y'all already see I'm going to I'm going to the land. Defensive line generate pressure because you have Isaiah Land, you have Gentle Hunt, you have all these defensive linemen that FAMU has been able to stack up that are Division One quality. I mean, we talk, which people oftentimes talk about the haul that Jackson State brought in, brought in, and the haul that Alabama A&M brought in. FAMU brought in a good recruiting class they brought in good transfers and they maintained a lot of their a lot of their glue guys we lost some of our stars we did we lost two big stars Savian Williams y'all know that's my favorite 
That was my favorite defensive player last year. Now, uh, my boy Bill. Bill was my dude, though. Like, I ain't gonna lie. Like, I like Bill. Like, Bill's really nice, respectable young man, great guy. But Savion just had that little bit of edge. Like, he had that little bit of what for to him. Like, yeah, you know, he might get in trouble every once in a while and get a penalty. He'd be like, oh, come on. Y'all can't throw him out the game for rocking the baby. That was, ugh. Anyways, Gremlin, we beat them. But that was my favorite guy. Like, last year, like, that was definitely favorite guy uh, on the team. But you, we, lo- we lost those two. This year, can we get that that pressure on them? Because if Isaiah Land can generate pressure because you, UNC Chapel Hill has some good tackles, you're playing ACC quality ta- tackles, can he put good film out there? And if he can wreak havoc to where he's constantly forcing the quarterback to step up in the pocket, but then General Hunt and the defensive linemen are able to get enough penetration to where they can make those interior linemen kind of uh, push them backwards, really what I'm trying to say, then all of a sudden you're creating an offensive line situation where, yes, there may be a pocket there, but the pocket starts to shrink. And if we can get some fortunate bounces go our way, things can go pretty well because FAMU's defense is opportunistic. If you look last year, the defense is not just this crazy, like, blitz all over the place defense it's very disciplined as far as like they know where they're supposed to be we blitz from the corners we blitz from the safeties we'll send a linebacker here or there but i didn't see a lot of defensive end spies but it was very like we knew our base defense we knew how to run it and when the time was right we would send a safety we would send a corner bj bowler had a sack last year marquis bell had sacks and damn he's got more speed than I than we had last year, in my opinion, especially in the secondary. So a secondary that was already opportunistic that brings in very good transfers. One being a transfer that we got from Texas, uh, Texas A&M previously, but he transferred community college out of Texas, Houston. Anyways, family secondary is very good. Like the the linebacker room is the one room we don't really talk a lot about, and we even had improvements there. We so you're just seeing that. How will these transfers and these additional bodies that came in have an impact on the game because I don't think we win the game just because the number of bodies you got 85 scholarships going against 60 some scholarships I think 65 so eventually attrition is going to wear on us but we can make this game interesting and part of what makes this game even more interesting is coach Simmons decision at quarterback Musa and y'all, if if you remember from day one, I was at the spring game and shout out to Brian ONG Strike Zone. He was like, Yeah, I was standing. We were talking about that. We were like, yo, he's not coaching that dude. Like, he's coaching everybody else. He's talking to him. Musa just does his thing. And then, like, even after the game, Musa's kind of off doing his thing. He just looked, he looked like that dude as a quarterback. I thought McKay has the heart of the, the team. I still do. I think McKay is the heart and soul of that family football team because they actually, they, they love on them. They, they, and he loves them on the back. Like he's very positive. He's encouraging, really nice guy. But Musa just had that extra it factor. Now with me, for McKay, I know what I'm going to get. He's consistent. He doesn't have a lot of turnovers. I've said it a couple of times and some, sometimes tongue in cheek where I'm being sarcastic, but 
He had five turnovers last year, and half the mugs was against Valley almost. I think two picks against Valley. And I think what between Valley and Alabama AM, them pretty much all his picks. Like other than that, McKay was very solid. But supposedly there were some injuries and other things that affected the decision. Musa was taking a lot of snaps. And if you looked at the the videos that the university produced, Musa's in most of those videos. Like I'm I'm not trying to say anything, but I mean, I'm looking and I was like, okay, Moose is in most of these videos. Like when you were looking at him getting extra time, getting extra work, whether it's with the tight end, uh, Kobe Gross, I believe, the receiving core, KDOT and those guys, most of the videos were with Moose. That's not saying that McKay wasn't there because McKay was there. He was obviously getting some time, getting some reps, but we saw a lot of Moose in the videos and whatnot in the publications. And for me, when I looked on the field, I felt Musa was the more polished quarterback. And for anyone who's y'all heard me say it, I felt like Musa was the better quarterback, but it was because he was more experienced. You could see just when you watch him, he's been getting quarterback training for much longer. And that's something that we've said about McKay since the word go that he hasn't had as much time. He hasn't been able to get as much experience. That's not a slight on him. It's just, it is what it is. Like, my dad builds cabinets. My dad is a great, he he does great at building cabinets. You ask me to build some cabinets tomorrow, it's not going to be as good. I'm not as experienced. Now, even if I went to school and did some training and did all these things, I'd probably be really good at it, but my father would have the experience over me. He would have, darn, I ain't going to say his age, but he would have experience over me. And this is the same concept that you have with Musa and McKay. You have a very, just much more experienced guy, got him more training. And because of that, you have a quarterback that's a little more confident. Now, Musa's going to make more mistakes. Like, I'm, I'm not – he he did throw that pick six in the spring game. So maybe maybe that's something that you can kind of look at and say, hey, take your time, man, because I, I trust Musa. I, I trust Coach Simmons. I trust his decision. I trust McKay too, though. Like, both of them, and even in Coach's explaining of our quarterback depth chart, he pretty much said it was Musa McKay and then Junior was there in the back. And I said the same thing. I was like, I think Junior's really here for next year. And I think it's going to be a Junior versus Fisher thing. Maritovic, Fisher next year. Who's going to be the quarterback? And I think Junior has the edge of that. But you, you better watch out because I think Fisher's ability to grasp the playbook is going to be something that is going to play a factor there. But I digress. Having Musa there is going to open the field a little quick, a little more. I think it's going to give you a little more margin for error as far as passes. You'll notice sometimes in the classic, uh, some of McKay's throws were a little inaccurate. There we go. I was looking for a different word, but I'm going to use inaccurate so I'm not overly verbose. But whereas to me, Musa threw, he throws a better ball. He's a little more accurate, but he didn't. He's a little more of a gambler. And I, I jokingly tongue-in-cheek use the idea or the Brett Favre versus Brad Johnson idea, whereas, I mean, he ain't no Brett Favre, but it's the gunslinger mentality versus the take care of the ball, be a good steward of the ball, make sure that we don't make mistakes. I'd rather maybe hold the ball a little bit longer than make this mistake, whereas we also are going to see that Musa's more – a more willing runner. Not that uh, McKay can't run, though. Like, I think to say that Rashawn McKay can't run is a misnomer. That's almost making him seem like he's not athletic. No, he's just more – he's trying to be a quarterback. 
Like he's not trying to be a runner. So in this game, we get Musa starting. Musa has the better arm talent. He it's just he, he's got the better footwork. He's got the better, he's got the better elements or the better foundational quarterback tools. There we go. The better foundation tool, foundational tools as a quarterback when you compare the two. But McKay was not bad. Like he wasn't a slouch again. A good number of touchdowns compared to interception ratio. And statistically, he held up in the swag. Now, is he Andrew Body? No. But at the same point, we got a good starter. I think they both play. Honestly, I think McKay will get some snaps. And I believe I said that before, where I honestly, in the space a few days ago with BJ Jones, I stated that, well, I think McKay was going to start because I thought Coach Sims was going to go with the guy I know over the guy I don't know. And not saying he didn't know Musa, but saying that I know what I've seen out of Musa and I know what I've seen out of McKay, but I've seen a lot more out of McKay because I've had McKay for years. Like let, let's let's not lie about this. McKay was there for the Stanley years. Like he was there when Ryan Stanley was there. And McKay was the one that beat the Wildcats. He was the one who broke this 10-year streak against Bethune Cookman University. And so it's going to be interesting. And, I, and then having met Rashawn McKay a few times, respectful guy, and I think he handles it well. And this isn't his first time. Remember last year, he did get benched for that game after the game in Miami. But I think this is going to be a good, a good example and opportunity for one McKay to heal up, but also for Musa to, to show his chops. Because if Musa has a really good game against UNC, I'm not going to say the guy gets drafted. I'm not going to go and be that hyperbolic, but I am going to say it could help him go further and do some better things post FAMU because this is, he's kind of one and done here. Now, what are the betting odds? It's 39 points. (laughs) The spread is 39 points when I checked yesterday. And honestly, I'm taking FAMU. I'm not a gambler. I don't, I don't be putting money down like that. Um, Not like, not, not, not like that. Like, I don't even gamble with my wife because she always wins. Like, I, I bet if I sat up there and said, I bet such and such would happen during this game, and my wife would say $5, my $5 would be lost. Need a better that. Never mind. I'm, I'm, I'll say that for after the game. But I think FAMU can actually – I wouldn't bet on FAMU getting beat by 50 points. I don't think that UNC's offense is going to be that prolific early on. I think later on they may figure it out. but. I honestly would not be surprised if the young man makes a few mistakes because it's not like FAMU's secondary is trash. The defensive line is solid. The linebacking core is different. And our corners and our safeties are tall. Like, look at the depth chart of FAMU's safeties. You got a couple 6'1", 6'2", 6'3", guys. Like, they're not short. They're not my height. They're not a bunch of 5'9", five, 5'8", five, guys playing safety. I think that that bodes in our favor. I believe the fact that B.J. Bowler is going to be out there bodes in our favor as well. And I, I would love to see him at the nickel, honestly. I'm not sure who, who you're going to put on downs, but I just like the idea of having him play that almost rover role. Like the corner that can kind of free range a little bit where, oh, okay, I don't have to cover anybody. I'm blitzing. Oh, I, I can do this. I need to spy because Fami's going to need to spy that UNC quarterback. That guy can move. And when you looked at his spring game, he was a guy that he ran the ball a lot. 
in that spring game. He ran the ball first quite often where he went through his reads, went through his progressions, and once that happened, it wasn't there. He got rid of the ball. So I don't know. I don't know how that goes, but I'm going to pick. I already picked UNC to win this game, but I think it's closer than the experts think. Don't count the Rattlers out completely. All right, we're going to take a quick break, and then we're going to talk about a couple games to watch, and we're going to talk about why we need AD real quick, or actually, we're supposed to get an AD next week. A black future happens all the time. It's built on a foundation of those who have paved the way. Trust your dream. The future is counting on it. All right, y'all. So games to watch this week. Obviously, the FAMU-UNC game is the game for FAMUans to watch. But we also got the MEAC SWAC Challenge. And I got Howard in this one. The game's going to be on ESPN. But, again, just like when I did the Alabama State preview, and I was like, we don't know what we're going to get. We don't know what we're going to get. Like, this is their, their head coach is doing something similar to Dion, but different. I mean, a lot of times we talk about how Coach Prime never had college experience. But it's not that he never had coaching experience. He was at prime prime prep. He did coach at high school. Prime prep wasn't what it was, which I think is kind of why some of the bigger schools are kind of like, Mm-mm. but that being stated, like Dion was actually a pretty decent high school coach, especially if you remember, he, he came down to the Tallahassee area and they put a little something on Gaston County high school. Like it was a nice little Molly whopping. So, uh, but Alabama State's coach, we we don't know. I don't know anything really. What is the offense going to look like? I think the defense is going to be solid. So I'm going to go with Howard in that one uh, just because we got a little something, just a little more history with them and a little more knowledge about that. Now, if you haven't been keeping up, especially if you haven't been able to watch, AMU has been waiting for an athletic director. The due date for the athletic director is the Orange Blossom Classic, which I feel some type of way about that. I'm just saying that could just be the fact that I'm a state employee myself, but I do know that I would have loved to have an AD by July 1st so that he could have started the fiscal year off just controlling everything, doing his thing. But it sounds like the candidates are really solid. I was able to listen in and see that we have some pretty solid, solid people and they're from different minority groups. They're also from different genders. And I, I believe that's a great thing. I'm not one of these people that feels like we just got to have a man to head it up. I also don't feel like we necessarily have to have a person that is melanated. I want the best candidate, and I think FAMU deserves that. FAMU deserves to have the best candidate out there as an athletic director. And the big things that we need as an athletic director, we need somebody that's going to be able to raise money, somebody that's also going to be able to improve the APR in those sports that APRs are declining in, and we need somebody that's going to be a good steward of our facilities. We need someone that's going to be able to be a good facilities manager. Brad cannot fall into disrepair like that, especially considering football is your bell cow. Also, the Lawson Center, you got to improve that. Eventually, the softball complex and the baseball complex, they need some more upgrades and the tennis uh, courts as well. So those are the three things I'm looking at. Now, as far as today is Thursday, so you may have saw on the FQ Family Twitter page, I'm excited about these Friday night lights. I am. I in talking to my mom, I found I got some family here in Central Florida, and one of them plays at Apopka High School. I have yet to go to a game there, so tomorrow, weather permitting, it is trying to thunder and lightning here. Now, 
I will be at the Apopka versus Okoe High School football game. If you see me out there, throw a wave up. I'm just going to be there as a fan. I might take a few pictures, but I'm not going to be there on any type of FQ FAMU or uh, Fangs Up podcast uh, priority or mission. I'm just there as a fan. I will take pictures, though, and kind of be like, hey, this is fun and whatnot, so I can get the Apopka experience because this is a huge game kind of a nice little rivalry because you have these two cities that really butt up against each other. And as y'all know, we're going to be going to a couple different games this, this year, hopefully catch that Lincoln Dillard game and a couple other ones as well. So y'all know FQ FAMU, we do, we do our thing as far as trying to follow some high school sports as well as with HBCU digital and the Fangs Up podcast. We go to high school events, we cover college events. Now I primarily focus on FAMU, but we cover it all. So as always, y'all, I do duly appreciate your time. I'm right at 40 minutes. So I don't want to, I don't want to talk too long. I appreciate y'all, but as always, y'all, it is fangs up. Thank y'all for listening. Thank you to HBCU digital for being a, a, a promoter and a partner. And it's always going to be fangs up. We all stand on the shoulders of those who came before us. A black future happens all the time. It's built on a foundation of those who have paved the way. A generation ago, all of this would have seemed unheard of. And what's new to the world now will be incomparable to what's coming up next. Trust your dream. The future is counting on it. HBCUs are mostly known for an academic rigor, community, they also know how to turn up. Does he have it?